Joe Biden is defeated by his mortal enemy, a flight of stairs. My monitors stay on when we go through the intro, so we'll talk a bit about that. All right, there's that fixed and everything else. In other news, what do I have for other news? That kind of threw me up off my rhythm here. Uh, investigators say that we are still looking to see whether the Atlanta shooter made a hate crime, even though he admitted to the fact that he did it because he was addicted to sex. So we'll talk a bit about that. The fencing comes down around the Capitol complex, meaning that we finally maybe have a legitimate presidency. I don't know. It seems like they do have something else in the works to make sure everything stays secure. So... Totally, though, most popular president in history, so we'll talk a bit about that. And Trump may launch a new social media platform in a couple months. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. That first day back after a long travel, especially when you do take your entire studio with you because you're running everything off the only laptop that you have, is uh, usually riddled with a few tech glitches, but uh, we'll get through them. We'll power through, and I apologize if I'm a little bit low energy today because I uh, didn't get back here until 11 o'clock last night. Still had to eat something when I got back here, so... Uh, yeah, just uh, dragging a little bit here, but the news stops for nobody, and the contemporary pattern stops for nobody either. We will stay with a multiple of five on every Friday. And, by the way, if you're in the live chat and you're just lurking, make sure you get messages in every day so I can come in and thank you for coming and hanging out with us in the live chat at the end of the day on Friday as well. I write everybody's name down. I read all the live chat throughout the day, just not live on the air here. So I write everybody's name down, and I give you guys a special thank you on Friday. So make sure you get those last-minute messages in before the end of the show every day. All right, there, we've got a bunch of stuff to get to today on top of this here. But before we do this, head on over and bookmark freedomscoop.com. The website will be premiered during my 24-hour live stream coming up here in April. So looking forward to that. Definitely looking forward to seeing that and seeing how you guys like the new interface. Uh, working on getting some more written articles coming in here, so we need some more writers. Working on getting some <clears throat> updated content here, getting some more advertising done, and just getting out and making these people famous. You know, I told Elaine one night that I have a dream for Freedom Scoop. It's not for me to get rich. It's not to try and bolster myself or make myself famous. Those would all be nice things. My biggest dream from Freedom Scoop is to make sure that the Freckles and Brick Show, the Breakdown with Frickenhoff, the R-rated Conservative, the Daily Ignoramus, and the Generational Gap, the members of those shows never, ever, ever have to want for anything again for the rest of their lives. To get everything running so smoothly that they can walk away from their careers and that they never, ever have to walk, want again, that their families can be taken care of forever. That's my dream for that. So let's get some word of mouth going here. Go over there and check out all those channels as well and go hang out with them. And once we get ourselves launched, you'll have a nice, convenient, easy place where you can go and find everybody on the network. So go and check that out. Starting in, looking at the stocks. It was not a good day for the Dow. 
Let's just say that. Looking back on Friday's chart of the Dow here, ended at 32,627.97, well below its previous close, well, well below comparatively to what we've been seeing throughout all this. It dropped like a stone. It tried. It definitely tried. And then it dropped like a stone right at the close once again here. And it looks like the futures aren't looking that well for it either. Now, of course, we always say that it never reflects what the actual trading is, but uh, the futures are pointed downward too at this point. Looks like uh, tech might be coming back, so the other two indices might come back off of this, but we'll talk about this coming from the investors. <clears throat> Let's see and look over what Bitcoin is doing. Bitcoin is at 57,438 US dollars and 70 US cents, a slight rise over Friday, so couple people made off with Bitcoin here and hopefully you grabbed a little bit as well. I'm going to grab a little bit myself because you don't know what's going to happen and it's another one of those things. You never dump your life savings into something like Bitcoin, but if you got 20 bucks, buy 20 bucks worth of Bitcoin. If it takes off again, which it's going to get harder and harder for it to take off again as it gets higher and higher, but if it takes off again, you make a little bit of money. If it falls, you lost 20 bucks. But definitely something to watch here as we go in, and they continue to devalue the currency. Looking at the gas prices. <clears throat> the gas prices are actually coming down right now, in the Madison area at least. We were seeing 253 at some of the lowest priced places, and 255 in most places across Madison. Well, all of Madison is straight across, 253 across the board at this point. I saw a tweet before I got started. Somebody came out and said, Stop blaming rising gas prices every summer on Democrats. This happens every summer. People are traveling more. Well, that may be true, but last summer I drove to uh, Florida via Washington, D.C., and all five times I filled up my truck were between 99 or 97 cents rather and a dollar four just so you know so now that I'm seeing 253 everywhere that's uh that's quite the uh, quite the jump and what has changed since then hmm I wonder all right let's keep going here from IBD oh they paywalled me and I didn't see that in time Never mind, not from IBD. From MarketWatch, Asian markets mixed after Fed winds down some emergency measures. Oh, I'm not going to see that either. Well then, that's just not going to work here. This is going to be the first day since we started this that we're not going to sit and look at the stocks at the beginning of this. Well, that's what we're going to see here. But it's a good thing to know because I have to archive everything once again. All right, well, let's get into the big news of the day here. The biggest news of the weekend today, Biden keeps falling up the stairs as he boards Air Force One. From the New York Post, from uh, Leah Ustowich. President Biden stumbled several times while running up the stairs of Air Force One on Friday, a new video shows. The 78-year-old commander-in-chief had his hand on the railing when he tripped twice before falling over the third time as he flew up the stairs of the idling aircraft at Joint Base Andrews. After recovering, Biden appeared to take the moment to dust it off his knees before finally making his way to the top. He then gave a salute before ducking into the cabin to take off for Georgia. 
White House Communications Director Kate Bedingfield said Biden was not injured. I know folks have seen that President Biden slipped on his way up the stairs to Air Force One, but I'm happy to report he is just fine and did not require any attention from the medical team who travels with him, she tweeted. Nothing more than a misstep on the stairs. Well, let's see what that looked like. several other beautiful memes like that there but that one was my favorite then I mean with all the video game music that sits around my channel you guys probably understand why that one was my favorite so yeah that is what it looked like there and token hopium says as mucho said won't be long till we have President Kamala and BP Pelosi how scary is that I don't know if they'll put BP Pelosi in I've talked about this just a touch before but on the chain of succession, if Biden were to be forced to resign or, God forbid, pass away in office, Kamala would ascend to the presidency, but she would appoint her own vice president. <clears throat> Hillary Clinton. The line of succession doesn't automatically bring Pelosi up to the vice presidency. The only reason that uh, Pelosi actually ascends to the presidency in case of an emergency is if both Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. and Kamala Harris are incapacitated at the same time. Or Kamala is incapacitated after Joe Biden, but in such a time where she doesn't have a new vice presidential nominee nominated. It was the same thing with uh, going down in designated survivor. The reason that the Housing and Urban De uh, Development Secretary ascended the presidency was because Legitimately, everybody else in line passed along at the same time. They didn't just keep killing people off and assassinating people until he got to the presidency. So that is a that is a mistake that a lot of people make there. But no, she Pelosi doesn't automatically become the vice president. But regardless, that's what we're seeing up here from that. Uh, I've got another one here. This is from our friend Quest Fanning who tweeted out over on here, somebody needs to buy a taffy making machine because that's a stretch. Quote tweeting a screenshot of tweet here that says, Jesus fell three times carrying the cross while on the way to Calvary to save us. Biden also fell three times carrying the hardship America is going through on his way to deliver hope. Today, God looked upon Biden and said, this is my son, the beloved in whom I was well pleased. Wisconsin Libertarian tweets back, Probably the best answer to something like this here. Totally not a cult. I thought you guys would be interested in that there. So that's what we saw from the stair-stepping. Let's keep going here. Let's look at this fencing thing. Congressional leaders discussing $2 billion package for new capital fencing and security personnel. From Manu Raju and Jeremy Herb. 
Congressional leaders are discussing a new $2 billion funding package that would bolster security around the U.S. Capitol and shore up vulnerabilities exposed by the January 6th attack, according to sources familiar with the talks. There are many details to sort through amid a heated debate in Congress over how to respond to the attack on the Capitol. Among them, a permanent fence around the Capitol, hundreds of new security personnel, either the National Guard or a military police presence, and the new authorities for the District of Columbia's National Guard to be dispatched in emergency situations. One of the sources said the plan under consideration would also expand the U.S. Capitol Police Force, which is funny because I thought all cops were bastards, potentially by hiring hundreds more officers and making changes to the USCP's board. Congressional action on this package won't happen until next month at the earliest. Many of the recommendations stem from a task force report led by retired Lieutenant General Russell Honere, who was appointed by Chicago's, uh, I'm sorry, by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I don't even know where I got Chicago out of that. By House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to examine the security failures on January 6th and propose changes. Honore's report includes many of the proposals the House is now considering, including putting up retractable and mobile fencing around the Capitol, providing additional authorities for the D.C. Guard and restructuring the Capitol Police Board, and improving Capitol Police intelligence. Gathering, House Appropriations Chairwoman Rosa DeLauro said after the Honore's report was released that she expected a substantial funding package to shore up the security at the Capitol. There it is. They're going to go spend a whole bunch more money. Can't you see that one coming up? Didn't you see that one coming here? But while the talks are underway, it remains to be seen whether Republicans will bristle at a new funding package. The price tag that they're discussing was reported earlier by Punchbowl News. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans have slammed Honore, who was appointed without Republican consultation, for comments he made before he was appointed about the January 6th attack. I don't think Honore should have been in charge of this based on his comments not long ago, but short ago. McCarthy said Thursday he had a preconceived notion that was wrong, so I disregard the report entirely because of that. Some Republicans, including Representative Rodney Davis, the top Republican in the House Administration Committee, have said they agree with some of Honore's recommendations, suggesting there could be a path forward for a bipartisan funding bill to improve security at the Capitol. So... This whole thing that we saw with the fencing and the guard, that's starting to look like that's going to be permanent. So I hope you got that last visit to the Capitol in that you wanted. I hope that you got that last visit in because it's starting to look like you're never going to be able to see that again. But on the plus side for right now, we will read from WUSA 9 out of Washington, D.C. Security officials start to scale back fencing around the U.S. Capitol. On Saturday, workers were scaling back the fencing that surrounds the Capitol. From Nick Boykin. Amid strong bipartisan pushback, security officials have started to scale back fencing that has circled the U.S. Capitol and cut off the entire area to pedestrian and vehicular traffic since a mob attacked the building on January 6th. On Saturday, workers were scaling back the fencing that surrounds the Capitol. This inner perimeter will be moved closer to the Capitol building this week, providing reopened access to nearby streets and some sidewalks. Strings of razor wire atop the fence will also be removed, according to the officials. Timothy Blodgett, the acting House Surgeon-at-Arms, 
said Monday in a memo to members of Congress that the fencing will be scaled back in two phases in response to guidance from the U.S. Capitol Police that there does not exist a known credible threat that warrants keeping the temporary barrier in place. Yeah, you guys, did you did you see what happened on Saturday? Did you see what happened there where, you know, all the MAGA people came up and forced all of Congress out and executed everybody in Congress and then installed Donald Trump as their rightful and legitimate leader and the angel wings came out of the back of Donald Trump. Did you, you guys did see all that, right? Oh, you didn't? That's because it didn't fucking happen. That was supposed to be this past Saturday once again. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said in a letter to colleagues after Blodgett's announcements, uh, announcements rather, that the Capitol Police will continue to monitor the threat posture and plans will be adjusted if and as needed. How to protect lawmakers while keeping the Capitol grounds open to visitors? <laughs> okay. Has emerged as one of the more daunting questions from the deadly insurrection. Lawmakers from both parties have decried the fencing unsightly, expensive, and beyond what is necessary, even secure, uh, even though rather security fears remain high. There is one easy way to protect Congress people from the American populace. The easiest way to do it is to do stop doing authoritarian bullshit that they need to have a revolution against. That is the easiest way, right there, to keep people from coming in and trying to stage a revolution on the floor of your building. The number one simplest way, the easiest way, have full transparency when you're going to do something, have full transparency to your reasons, and then don't do stupid shit. That's the easy way. To keep from having a revolution. But who has time for the easy solution here? Members of Congress have described their unease at arriving at work each day in what can feel like a war zone with checkpoints and National Guard troops lining the perimeter fence, the absence of tourists snapping photos of the Capitol Dome or constituents meeting with their representatives is an emotional loss for the top uh, on top, rather, of the coronavirus restrictions, they said, the security perimeter extends far beyond the Capitol itself through neighboring parks and office buildings. Yeah, it's a military fortress at this point. And they have no desire to let you back in. So, that's what we're seeing up here from that. Like I said, if you haven't had that trip to the to the center of democracy, to the mecca of democracy, to the greatest thing that democracy's ever seen, if you haven't gone to that religious site and gone and prayed to the spirit of democracy, you might miss out at this point because they might never let you back in. Let's keep going here from USA Today. Atlanta spa shooting updates. All victims identified suspects disowned by church. Biden in Georgia says silence is complicity. Come on, man. From Eleanor S. Bergren, Ryan W. Miller, and Crystal Hayes. 
More details emerged Friday about the eight victims who were shot at three massage parlors in Georgia, along with new information about the suspect in the string of attacks that left mostly women of Asian descent dead. The four victims who were killed at two spas in Atlanta were identified Friday by the Fulton County Medical Examiner's Office. Soon C. Park, 74, Yoon J. Grant, 51, Suncha Kim, 69, and Yong A. Ju, 63. Atlanta Deputy Police Chief Hampton Jr. said they still need to determine the motive, but that it was too soon, rather, to say whether the suspect specifically targeted victims. Authorities said Wednesday that Robert Aaron Long, 21, indicated he committed the shootings because of sex addiction, but experts say it's hard to disentangle race from the killings. Long waived his right to an initial court appearance in Cherokee County on Thursday. In records released to USA Today, police say caller reported Long had been kicked out of his parents' home the day before the shooting and was emotional. The report says Long was recently furloughed from his job at a trade show business due to COVID-19. Authorities say the suspect opened fire at Young's Asian Massage in Ackworth on Tuesday evening, killing four people and injuring a fifth before driving 30 miles into Atlanta and killing four more people at two businesses, Gold Spa and Aromatherapy Spa. Long was arrested about 150 miles south of Atlanta. Police said he was heading to Florida and intended to carry out more shootings at spas there. The shootings came amid a recent wave of attacks against Asian Americans that coincided with the spread of the coronavirus across the United States. Witnesses have only started to come to terms with the horror they experienced at the spas. So, a lot to unpack with that, but a lot of it... I'm sorry, it's bullshit. The guy confessed here. Let's keep going and talk about this a little bit more. Suspect in Atlanta area attacks say they weren't racially motivated. Experts say he doesn't get to decide. That's right. He can confess that he was doing this for sex addiction and come out and say, I have no bias against Asians. And the experts now say that he doesn't get to decide. From Janelle Griffith. The white man charged Wednesday with killing eight people, including six women of Asian descent, at three Atlanta-area spas told authorities he was not driven by bigotry and that he had a sexual addiction and saw the businesses as a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate, investigators said. Captain Jay Baker, the director of communications of the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office in Georgia, sparked outrage when he said at a news conference Wednesday that the suspect, Aaron uh, Robert Aaron Long, rather, had a really bad day Tuesday, and this is what he did. On Thursday, the sheriff's office acknowledged that Baker's comments had become the subject of much debate and anger, and claimed they were not intended to disrespect any of the victims, the gravity of this tragedy, or express empathy or sympathy for the suspect. Investigators said they had not ruled out racial motive, and experts said they should not. This is the best part. You can't ask a person what they think, said Elaine Gross, president of the New York-based civil rights organization Erase Racism. That's not how we determine whether something is or isn't a hate crime. One sec, I'm going to move something up to the top here because I want to read this after this. All right, sorry about that. Just reading this article makes me want to read that next article I just popped up here right after this one because the juxtaposition is going to be amazing. 
That's not how we determine whether or not something is a hate crime. If Long had a bad day, she asked, why wasn't there a variety among the victims? That has to count for something. Determining what constitutes a hate crime is not simply uh, simple or easy, Gross said, but it cannot be ignored that most of those killed in the rampage were women of Asian descent. There's been a tendency not to call things hate crimes, to want to avoid that categorization, she said, and I think part of that is because they're looking for explicit intent, which might not be immediate or evident. Representative Marilyn Strickland of Washington took it a step further Wednesday, saying, The default position when violence is committed against people of color or women is to defer from confronting the hate that is often the motivation. Racially motivated violence must be called out for exactly what it is, and we must stop making excuses or rebranding it as economic anxiety or sexual addiction. Except the dude confessed that it was sexual addiction. Strickland said on the floor of Congress, As a woman who is black and Korean, I'm acutely aware of how it feels to be erased or ignored. So, with this, they're telling you right off, this, off the bat in this, that this is, you cannot, for any reason, for any way, shape, or form, determine that this, you cannot determine that the motive for this was not hate. We know clearly what the motive is, in spite of the fact that the suspect confessed that the motive was sexual addiction. But even though he confessed that, we know it's a hate crime. He's going to the same prison, whether it was a hate crime or not, by the way. He killed eight people. That dude's never going to see the light of day again, whether it was a hate crime or not. And all they're doing right now is trying to force this for statistics here. But interestingly enough, let's read this here from NBC4 New York. Motive remains unclear behind possible terror suspects' knife assault on officers, NYPD. From Jonathan Dienst, Miles Miller, Joel Val uh, Joe Valiquet, Tom Winner, Mark Santia, Tom Shea, and Kiki Intarasuan. Authorities investigating Wednesday night stabbing of an NYPD officer in Brooklyn say body-worn ca uh, camera video recorded the suspect yelling, Allahu Akbar! three times during the attack, NYPD officer said on Saturday. But the motive remains unclear. He swung a knife and screamed, Allahu Akbar. And we have no idea what the dude's motive is. But we definitely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, know what the motive of the guy who confessed to sex addiction in Atlanta was. Deputy Commissioner for Intelligence and Counterterrorism John Miller says there are many unknowns behind the possible terror-inspired attack, including the suspect's motive. The man behind the alleged attack, Zenin Kamovic of Brooklyn, had very little social media presence before that attack, and he remains in critical condition after being shot by police following the attack. Kamovic has been charged with attempted murder of an officer, robbery, assault of an officer, criminal possession of a weapon, and reckless endangerment. But don't worry, guys, we have no idea what his motive was. We don't know why he did this. But, Allahu Akbar! And meanwhile, we have a gentleman in custody who said, I killed these women because I was sex addicted. And we know his motive was race. We know his motive was race because he's an evil white man and he killed mostly Asian Americans. And the irony is not lost on me either, by the uh, way, that both of these stories come from an NBC affiliate.
a different NBC affiliate. I will give that, but both of these stories come from an NBC affiliate. Let's read one here quick from The Blaze, and then we'll move on across, uh, away from the Atlanta shooting. From Blaze Media, report investigators have not found evidence of federal hate crime in Atlanta spa massacres. From Chris Enlow. Federal and local investigators have so far not found evidence of a federal hate crime in the Atlanta spa tragedy in which eight people, including six Asian women, were massacred. Despite the narrative that is widely circulated in the immediate aftermath of the tragedy, the Associated Press reported that investigators are working on the case cannot find definitive evidence that clears the federal standard of a hate crime. You don't say. Hmm, interesting. From the AP, though investigators have not ruled out ultimately filing hate crime charges, they face legal constraints in doing so. Federal statutes require prosecutors to prove that the victims were targeted because of specific factors like race, gender identity, religion, national origin, or sexual orientation, or the suspect infringed on a federally or constitutionally protected activity. To successfully prosecute a hate crime case, prosecutors typically seek tangible evidence, such as the suspect expressing racism in text messages, in internet posts, or to witnesses. No such evidence has yet surfaced on the Georgia probe, according to the officials who have direct knowledge of the investigation. NBC News corroborated the AP's reporting. In fact, the local U.S. attorney in Atlanta has not directed the FBI's Atlanta field office to open a preliminary federal hate crime investigation, yet another indication that there is insufficient evidence for a hate crime. And, like I say, the big thing that's going along with this is the fact that Honestly, it doesn't matter if this was a hate crime or not. This dude killed eight people and confessed to it. There is very, very, very little chance. Now, there's always a chance because there are screwy lawyers in this country who love a good appeals case. But there is very, 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 very little chance that this dude is ever going to see the light of day again, whether or not it was a hate crime. But... You know, they got to have their statistics. They got to have their statistics, no matter where they go from this. All right, let's keep going. I've got one here I archived from the Miami Herald because the commie fucking coof is not over yet. Party's over. Miami Beach closing causeways imposing spring break South Beach curfew. From Martin Vasolo and Devon Sitaute. Frustrated and concerned by overwhelming spring break crowds that have overrun the city's entertainment district, the city of Miami Beach on Saturday tried to shut down the party by imposing an 8 p.m. curfew in South Beach and closing the causeways into the city to visiting traffic. These sudden orders, which some business owners worry could cripple venues, banking on the crush of tourists to help them bounce back from the pandemic, constituted the most far-reaching restrictions on spring break partying that Miami Beach City Hall has imposed in recent memory, said Interim City Manager Raul Aguila, who declared a state of emergency. These crowds are in the thousands, Aguila said. We're at capacity. Aguila told the Miami Herald that he recommends keeping the emergency measures in place through April 12th or the end of spring break. The emergency orders will expire Tuesday evening unless extended by the Miami City uh, Beach rather City Commission, which is scheduled to hold an emergency 3 p.m. Sunday meeting. The 8 p.m. curfew affects South Beach main commercial strips, Ocean Drive, Washington Avenue, Collins Avenue, and Española Way, from 5th to 16th Streets. 
Area restaurants, which were previously allowed to make food deliveries until 6 a.m., are now prohibited from staying open past midnight for deliveries. Sidewalk cafe operations and COVID-era outdoor restaurant expansions must close Saturday at 7 p.m., but may reopen on Sunday morning. A city spokeswoman said in a press release the city said outdoor seating would be suspended outright for the duration of the emergency period. So Miami is basically looking at this and looking at the income that they get, especially like it said in the article. These business owners were counting on spring break, which they did last year too. They were counting on spring break to go and make back some of the money that they lost due to the commie fucking coup. And now the city of Miami is saying, no, don't come here. Don't come here and party and spend your money. And if I was these people, I would turn around. Well, I would sober up first, turn around, get in my car, my Rennie car or whatever else kind of transportation they brought down here. And I would go up to Orlando and go spend my money there. Orlando wants your money. So that's what we see for that. All right, let's keep going. From Fox 8 News, 24 more charged in voter fraud probe, North Carolina federal attorney said. This comes to Fox 8 by the Associated Press. A federal North Carolina prosecutor's office that has been investigating allegations of voter-related fraud says 24 more people have been charged over the past 18 months. The government says two defendants were charged earlier this year with unlawful voting in the 2016 general election. More than 15 others face charges of falsely claiming U.S. citizenship to register to vote. But don't worry, voter fraud never happens. There is less than one case of voter fraud in the country. It never happens. Never happens. Just don't look at this article. Indictments against several defendants were unsealed on Friday. Back in 2018, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Raleigh announced charges against nearly 20 non-U.S. citizens accusing, uh, accused rather, of illegally voting in 2016. The prosecutor later asked for voting records from North Carolina election offices. So, it's interesting that we finish up with this election that was completely the most above board, nothing bad happened, don't turn me off, Susan Wojcicki, Hong Kong, Joe Biden, it really is the most popular president ever in American history, and he completely beat out Barack Obama by 12 million votes. That completely happened. Honk. But theoretically, in a video game, somewhere down the road, somewhere that's not real life, we're seeing charges of voter fraud and possibility that some bad things could have happened in this election, even though nothing bad happened in this election. Honk. Honk, honk. All right, let's keep going. From Axios, ICE securing hotel rooms to hold growing number of migrant families. From Steph W. Kite. The Biden administration has awarded an $86 million contract for hotel rooms near the border to hold around 1,200 migrant family members who crossed the U.S.-Mexico border, DHS officials confirmed to Axios. It's a sign of growing numbers of migrant families trying to come out to the U.S., in addition to already overwhelming numbers of kids crossing the border without their parents or legal guardians, both trends appear to be straining government resources. The contract through Endeavors, a Texas-based nonprofit, is for six months but could be extended and expanded. 
The hotels will be near border areas, including Arizona and Texas. ICE oversees the custody of migrant adults and families who cross, uh, cross the border illegally. After they have been uh, apprehended by Border Patrol agents, the agency is already transforming its family detention facilities into rapid processing centers with the global I'm sorry, with the goal rather of releasing families within 72 hours. Regardless, the contracts with hotels point to the agency not being able to keep up with the growing number of families in its custody. Immigration agencies have used hotels in the past as recently as last year for unaccompanied minors, who the Trump administration was quickly expelling under the emergency public health order. Hotel rooms are likely a safer option than Border Patrol stations, but do not have to follow the same safety protocols that official government detention spaces do. The number of migrant family members caught crossing the southwest border more than doubled between January and February, rising from 7,000 to nearly 19,000 according to most recent data released by, um, sorry, most recently released agency data. So looking in at this here, a lot of the proper outrage I think is there. Now, I am anti-government, and most people know that, so I don't think the government should be spending money on anything. The free market should be extending out and private charity should be out there to go and try to take care of some of these people. And if you release some of the taxes from some of the people, there will be private charity that runs up to this. I do believe in the American heart. But the proper outrage is there given the fact that there is such a homeless problem in California, in Texas, and some of these same areas. I mean, it's all over the country, but it seems to be targeted in some of these areas that also happen to coincide with a lot of these border crossings. And the Biden administration will spend $86 million to house illegal immigrants, but will not do so for their disabled veterans who serve their country. Once again, the government shouldn't be spending money on anything, but if it's a necessary evil, you should be focusing on the people who served your country for your bullshit foreign wars before the people who are flooding across the border because Joe Biden got up on the stage one day and said, come on in, man, come on. So we see a bunch of that there and the... The outrage is well-deserved. And I see it coming a little bit from both sides, too, because, yeah, the homeless people should be taken care of before the people coming up across the border. But we will see what happens with that. Let's keep going. I've got one from ABC. DHS to uh, head to migrants. The message is quite clear. Do not come. Mayorkas reiterated that the border is not open from Luke Barr. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas placed the blame for the current influx of migrants on the southern border at the feet of the prior administration in an interview with Martha Raddatz on ABC News' This Week. It is especially challenging and difficult now because the entire system is under U.S. law that has been in place throughout the administrations of both parties was dismantled in its entirety by Trump. Mayorkas told Reddit Sunday morning, So we are rebuilding the system as we address the needs of vulnerable children who arrive at our borders. Just weeks prior to Sunday's interview, Mayorkas during a press briefing on March 1st said the message to migrants wasn't to come, but not to come yet. 
The Secretary's rhetoric has seemed to toughen up since then. Mayorkas reiterated that the border is not open and that migrants should not come to the southern border, especially in the midst of the pandemic. Now is not the time to come, Mayorkas stressed. Do not come. This journey is dangerous. We are building safe, orderly, and humane ways to address the needs of vulnerable children. Do not come. The secretary also said that they were testing using Title 42 to send back migrants across the border due to the pandemic. Keeping this existing Trump administration policy has drawn criticism from immigration advocates. Oh, ho, 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 ho. no, that is not going to go over well. Let's recall, let's get in the Wayback Machine and remember the fact that during the Biden uh, debates, well, during the Democratic debates, during the primaries, when Biden got up to speak in the third debate, he got protested. Let's remember that. A crowd of people stood up in the back and protested. They pointed out the fact that Joe Biden, along with Barack Obama, under Barack Obama's term, deported more people than Trump ever did. Now, mind you, they had eight years, so keep that in mind statistically, but Obama was the deporter-in-chief. And they hated Biden for that. I still don't know how the hell he ever got in elected into office, except everything was completely above board and nothing bad happened. Wink, Hong Kong. But they protested him for what his former boss did for deporting. This is not going to go over well, this Title 42 thing. That is not going to go over well. I'm ready to grab some popcorn and see what happens with this to see if they can hold the progressives in line or if they will come back and start calling for an ouster off of this. This is going to get fun. All right, let's keep going here. I got one from the New York Post. Biden White House asks staffers to resign over past marijuana use report. And of course, the first question that we have to ask is, was Kamala Harris on that list? From Zachary Folk. A number of White House staffers were asked to resign or demoted for past marijuana use, regardless of whether those employees had been in one of those 14 states where the drug is legal, according to a report. The Biden administration had required workers to disclose past marijuana use on a background check form, but some told, or I'm sorry, but told some new hires rather that it would overlook those who answered yes, the Daily Beast reported. Despite this, the White House Director of Management and Administration Anne Philippic reportedly led a series of one-on-one -on -one calls with staffers this month, asking those who admitted to past marijuana use to resign or be placed on a remote work program. It's exclusively targeting younger staff and staff who came from states where it was legal, one former staffer told The Beast. The most comes after the administration officially updated its guidelines earlier this year to allow for limited use of the drug in the past. Although marijuana has been legalized in a growing number of states, the drug remains illegal on the federal level, making it difficult for staffers to try and get security clearances if they've used the drug before. That right there is an amazing reason to get rid of Schedule 1 entirely. Just fucking get rid of it. It's outdated. 
It's mostly used to make the police and DEA money. And we don't need to have it around anymore. The policies were never explained. The threshold for what was excusable and what was inexcusable was never explained. One ex-staffer told the outlet. Yeah, and again, these people are being told that they'll be rewarded for being honest. Don't just, just be honest with us. Tell us whether or not you use the drug and you're not going to get any punishment. Oh, by the way, you're not allowed to have security clearance anymore and you're not working with us anymore. Bye-bye. And yet it doesn't extend to Kamala Harris. I wonder why that is, by the way. We'll see what happens with that. Let's keep going. From CNN. <clears throat> this is interesting because we talked about uh, Mary Hart over in Iowa last week. We talked about her last Friday with Pelosi and other Democrats trying to introduce a resolution to get that election overturned. Because if we just count those 22 votes, then the Democrat wins by nine votes rather than losing by six. Well, this one is even better. Democrat introduces resolution to expel GOP Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Annie Grayer, Kristen Wilson, and Claire Foran. Democratic Representative Jimmy Gomez of California formally introduced a resolution Friday to expel Georgia Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene from Congress suggesting that she ad, uh, advocated violence against our peers, the Speaker, and our government. I take no joy in introducing this resolution, but any member who cites political violence and threatens our lives must be expelled, Gomez said on Friday. I believe some of my Republican colleagues, and one in particular, wished harm upon this legislative body. I'm not saying this for shock value. It's the conclusion I drew after a member of Congress advocated violence against our peers, the Speaker, and our government. 72 Democrats have supported this resolution, zero Republicans. Yeah, I'm sure zero Republicans supported this because that's uh, quite the call. Under the Constitution, the House of Representatives has the power to expel any member with a two-thirds vote, but it's not expected that there would be the votes for that, especially among Republican members. Still, the support for the resolution does illustrate the rancor and divisiveness that has taken root in the House since the riots on January 6th and the storming of the Capitol. Excuse me. I got to point out something here, and that is the fact that everybody knew that this woman was running for office in Georgia. There was every opportunity for Act Blue and whatever other big Democratic donation money laundering fund that they have out there. There was every opportunity for them to go out and launch a campaign ad and address these things with the people of Rome, Georgia. prior to Marjorie Taylor Greene being seated as a congresswoman. And see, that's the thing about this, is they're not talking about anything that she did on the floor of Congress. They're just pissed off that she's got the uh, ability to force a, vo a voice vote. And they're trying to jam their agenda down through, through voice vote. She can call for a roll call vote at any time, and she has used that power. That's a, the only power she has left. Because remember, she has no... Not a single committee assignment anymore. She's just sitting there, and she's a vote for Rome, Georgia. Show me what she said 
in an official capacity about violence against members of Congress, the Speaker, or the government. Show me what she has done while she was seated, officially sworn in as a U.S. Congresswoman. And I will get right on your side and I will say, okay, that might be time to expel this woman. But the, the caveat that you have to overcome is the fact that you need to show me that she did this between January and now. What she did on the campaign trail, what she did before she got on the campaign trail, that is irrelevant uh, to your case, completely irrelevant to your case. And yes, if you can show me demonstrable proof that she called for these same kinds of things between January and March while she was seated in Congress, then yes, I will get on board with you because that is wrong and that's not something you should be doing in your official capacity. Absolutely not. But from everything that I've seen for Marjorie Taylor Greene, everything happens to talk about what she did on the campaign trail and what she did before she got on the campaign trail. And this is dangerous in and of itself. Now, they don't have the votes to do this. This is the big ask, so they can come out and keep Marjorie Taylor Greene in a headline. And it worked. I mean, she's doing a headline on this show right now. But that's two seats that they're trying to get rid of Republicans from in Congress. Never mind the fact that we're also looking at opening up the Kavanaugh allegations once again. Because the FBI did an incomplete job of him. We don't have to pack the court. We'll just get rid of Kavanaugh. And then we'll go after... Then we'll go after uh, Amy Coney Barrett, too. And they'll probably go after Gorsuch, too, at that point. They're looking at power. They are looking at power. And I pray to God they don't get it. All right, I got one from Forbes here. This is a developing story, but uh, we will see what happens with this. Biden cancels a billion dollars of student loans from Zach Friedman. The Biden administration is canceling a billion dollars of student loans. Here's what you need to know. In the ongoing debate over student loan cancellation, at least some borrowers will get student loan forgiveness. In a matter of announcement, the U.S. Department of Education will enact student loan cancellation for 72,000 student loan borrowers who have previously had some student loans canceled, but now will get full student loan cancellation. The Biden administration says the previous formula to cancel the student loans in the case of fraud or school closure that was used in the Trump administration, which often created partial student loan forgiveness, was unfair to student loan borrowers. Under a federal law known as the Borrower Defense to Repayment, borrowers could get federal student loan cancellation if they attended a school that engaged in deceptive or illegal practices or closed suddenly. In 2016, the Obama administration issued a new rule to protect student borrowers and get student loan relief. These rules existed as a form of consumer protection because of uh, absent these rules, student loan borrowers would still have to pay off student loans even if they didn't find gainful employment after attending schools such as ITT Technical Institute or Corinthian College. So there's a lot of stuff to go along with this here. Um, really, honestly, the headline screams that this is just going to be the blanket student loan forgiveness for everybody. That's what it screams off of this. But this is a government stepping in and saying, okay, well... You got tricked by a, a shady, shady shiper. Well, two shady shippers because Student Loan Company is a shady shiper, and then ITT is also a shady as fucking shit shiper. You got tricked twice. 
and we're going to hold these uh, businesses accountable. So we'll protect you and then we'll go after the businesses themselves. I don't like the fact that the federal government is picking winners and losers. I really still, to this day, think this should be done at a state level to decide what the business practices of these in, uh, institutions that are operating in these states. We really do need to decide at a state level what to do with this. But I understand the reasoning behind this. And like I said, this isn't a blanket thing. This is for the most part protections for people who got caught in a fly-by-night scheme and didn't know the better of what was going on. Still don't like it, but it's better than just Joe Biden coming off and saying, come on, man, I'm just going to get rid of your student loan and just please clap, please vote for me. So DeVos was against this. Well, I'm against DeVos having a job in the U.S. Uh, federal government. And I don't believe that department should ever exist, but that's what we have for that. So that's coming down the road. All right, let's see. From the Washington Post, HUD secretary may have violated ethics law by championing Democrats in Ohio Senate race at the White House. Yeah, you remember when we didn't know what the fucking Hatch Act was? And now it's like everybody in the government's been accused of the fucking thing? Uh, from Tyler Pager, Housing and Urban Development Secretary Marsha L. Fudge may have violated the Hatch Act this week in the White House briefing room when discussing the 2022 Senate race in Ohio and promoting Democrats' chances to win the seat, experts said Friday. Fudge, who recently resigned her seat in Congress to join President Biden's cabinet, declined to answer the question Thursday about whether she would endorse a candidate in the special election to fill her seat, but then engaged in a follow-up question about the race for the seat of retiring Senator Bob... Uh, Rob Portman of Ohio. I have two friends who are thinking about it, she said from the podium. Tim Ryan, of course, is thinking about it. I understand Nan Whaley is thinking about it. I mean, I think we're both uh, going to put a good person in that race, no matter who we choose, but they're both friends. I think we have a good shot at it. I know the people have written off Ohio. I haven't written off Ohio. I believe we can win the Senate race. Yeah, that's actually probably, you shouldn't be campaigning from the official podium. That's something you shouldn't be doing. That's a stretch to see Hatch Act, though. For Hatch Act, that one is a stretch. Now, of course, it's the Washington Post, so if it was Republican, switch the parties. If this was a Republican saying the same thing, a Donald Trump staffer from the White House saying, you know what? We've seen upstate get beat around too much. I have some friends running in upstate New York. We're going to turn New York senators red. The Washington Post would be fucking crucifying him right now. But because this is a Biden staffer, oh, well, uh, it's just an ethics thing. No, well, we'll go look into this. Just you don't have to worry about any of this. All right, let's keep going. I got just a couple more here. Then we'll do something that restores my faith in humanity and head on out of here. Northern Michigan County to count votes by hand in May primary. From Tony Garcia. From WLNS6.com out of northern Michigan. Antrim County in northern Michigan will count its votes by hand in the next election when it holds primaries on May 4th. This comes after the county is being sued over its vote counting from the presidential election. In the fall, the county clerk requested just more than $5,000 to prepare Dominion voting machines to ensure they run smoothly, but county commissioners turned it down. Last fall, the Republican county initially showed a local victory for President Biden over Trump, that was later corrected and attributed to human error as opposed to a problem with the machines. 
Which, that's, that's what we should be doing no matter what. That's what we should be doing regardless. Dominion was run up and down by Democrats in 2018, saying that was the reason that they lost the Senate. They could lose the House because of Dominion machines and how easy it is to hack them. And now they got hacked, but nothing bad happened. But now we're looking at 2020 and Dominion machines are the standard and they're going into every single election office there is. Antrim County has the right idea and everybody else should do that. I understand that counties like the one that Detroit sits in would have a hard time counting everything. Based on how massive that county is, they would have a hard time counting it by hand. But, I mean, what's the alternative at this point? What is the alternative? Other than to count it by hand. We'll see, but we'll see what comes back up off this as well. 2022 is going to be interesting because nobody's going to have any idea what's going on. And so many people don't trust the elections. They don't trust the election process anymore, and for good reason. Except for the fact that Joe Biden is the most popular president in the history of the world. And he got 12 million more votes than Barack Obama. And he's totally the most popular president ever. Wink, wink, honk, honk. All right. For those of you, my libertarian friends out here, I thought that you guys would enjoy this. I saw a few things going around Twitter because of this as well. Uh, libertarian in chief Todd Hogopian tweets out, Nick Sarwark lost his bid for treasurer of the New Hampshire Libertarian Party by a vote of 34 to 21. He, he had no opponent. He lost to NOTA, none of the above. I hoped you guys would enjoy that. Because I don't think there are a lot of Sarwark fans left at this point. A lot of people are saying that we should actually have that option for the presidency and our governors and senators and representatives as well just to see who actually wins out to none of the above and who loses now that voting for none of the above that would be a throwaway vote i will say that but you can also leave the top of the ticket blank i did that in 2008 i left the top of the ticket blank so technically you can still vote for none of the above but that's funny that's still funny all right, from the Daily Wire. Trump to launch new social media program in next couple months after meetings with companies report from Daily Wire News. Former President Donald Trump is reportedly preparing to launch his own social media platform in the next couple months after hosting numerous meetings with companies at Mar-a-Lago. An advisor to Trump made the revelation on Sunday during an interview on Fox News' Media Buzz with host Howard Kurtz. The fact that the president's been off social media for a while because his press releases, his statement have been getting almost more play than he ever did on Twitter before, advisor Jason Miller claimed. Well, that's because the news media needs to breathlessly report on everything that Trump does because otherwise they have to breathlessly report on this. I'm not going to lie, I just wanted an excuse to play that again.
I'm not sure if that's because of the length of them are a bit longer. We even had one reporter say that she thought it was much more elegant the way that the president was able to communicate his thoughts and very much looked more presidential in that longer form. But I do think that we're going to see President Trump returning to social media in probably about two or three months here with his own platform, he continued. And that is something that I think will be the hottest ticket in social media. It's going to completely redefine the game, and everyone's going to be waiting and watching to see exactly what President Trump does, but it will be his own platform. And it's going to take off massively. Now, initially, everybody who goes over to the Trump platform is going to be everybody on Twitter who's either kicked off Twitter or has where we go one, we go all in their bio over on the Twitter side. The QAnon people, they're going to be the ones that go over there first. But these reporters out here are sitting here biting their nails because they have no idea how they report anymore now that they don't have the president as the boogeyman to come back and run up and screech about. They can't go back and pull up his tweet and say, See, President Trump tweeted this. Former President Trump tweeted this. We need to do something about this. The MAGA people are going to go over there, and then you're going to get a flood of people from Twitter to go over there because they want to be the first one to sit there on their chair, watching, anticipating. He's going to tweet something. He's going to tweet something. The racist orange man is going to tweet something. He's going to tweet something. He's going to be, he, he's going to do it. I'm going to be the first one to comment on it. He's going to see, he's going to say something racist. I'm going to be the first one to comment on it. I'm going to get to call him racist first. It's like heroin to some of these people. It really is like heroin to some of these people. And they are going to come, they're going to come to a rude awakening with it too, as they move along and as they see what's coming off this. But this could actually be the death nail to Twitter. Remember, and I remember, because I joined Twitter prior to Trump coming down the escalator, because it was the only way to apply to go beyond TBS's King of the Nerds, and I wanted to go on that show. I look back and realize I would have never fit in there, but I wanted to go on that show. That was the only way to apply, so I applied to Twitter. I got a Twitter account that's actually at a completely different ad at this point. And you guys don't know about that account. But I joined Twitter to do that and it was circling the drain. There was nobody there because you could go, and I've talked about this before, you could go over to Facebook and Facebook had no character limit. You could still stalk your favorite celebrities. You could still stalk your favorite uh, models. And you could comment on their stuff and see what their stuff was, but there was no character limit. So you could write a book and a comment. And then you had Instagram, where you could do the same thing, except with pictures. And still no character limit when you go to comment on looking at your favorite celebrity over on Instagram. There were so many better platforms out there than Twitter. The short little message thing appeals to some people, but, I mean, as a person who makes long-form content, I mean, we're sitting at an hour and seven minutes right now on this particular program alone. As a person who makes long-form content, I can see the appreciation for longer-form stuff. And I do like Twitter, by the way. But let's not pretend that it wasn't circling the drain before Trump came down the escalator and suddenly everybody wanted to do, just like I said, 
He's going to tweet something racist. He's going to do it. I'm going to be the first one to comment on it. Uh, everyone's going to get to see me. I'm going to have clout. I'm going to have internet clout. I'm going to be famous because I called out the president. Yes. And now they're going to go over to whatever his new social media company is going to be. And they're going to do the same thing. I will check it out too if it gets up there. At least to trademark the name over there before somebody else gets it. And I'll finally have a social media platform where I can be J. Edgar 101. But we will see what happens with that and where that goes. Alright, and the last one that I have here came to me via Ron Helton in the Discord. Because he wanted me to cover this. Uh, from USA Today, COVID vaccine motivation, Krispy Kreme is giving away free donuts for showing vaccination card. From Kelly Tycho. Krispy Kreme is providing sweet incentive to encourage more people to roll up their sleeves for the COVID-19 vaccine. Free donuts through the end of 2021. Starting Monday, consumers who show a valid COVID-19 vaccination card at locations nationwide will get a free original glazed donut, the Winston-Salem, North Carolina-based chain announced. The freebie is valid at all 369 Krispy Kreme shops located in 41 states and is available anytime, any day, every day for the rest of the year. Dave Skeena, Krispy Kreme Chief Marketing Officer, told USA Today, no purchase necessary. Krispy Kreme is also offering up to four hours of paid time off for each COVID vaccination for its employees. And it isn't alone. Businesses, including retailers such as Best Buy, Target, and Trader Joe's, have been providing paid time off to employees to get the vaccine. Now, Ron is not a fan of this as to what he put in the Discord, but I'm actually a little bit okay with this because it's the private market that's driving it. Now, if the government was coming down and saying, well, you have to provide this to try and incentivize people to get the vaccine, and they might be doing that in the background, we don't know about this. But if they were to come down and, say, and start to say, well, you have to give a donut to everyone who gets the vaccine no matter what, and you have to give time off to your employees, well, then that would be bad. And the government already does shit like that. The free market apparently wants people to get this vaccine. I'm still not going to go and get it. I've made that point well known to my supervisors at work. I've been very, very vocal about the fact that I'm not getting the vaccine. But it would be hard to look and say, oh, I get some free time off to do this. It would be an incentive. I, I still wouldn't do it because this thing is entirely untested and I have no idea what's going on with it, but it would at least give me something to, th to think about with this. So that's what we see for that there. It's a little bit of a virtue signal, but at least the free market's doing it, not the government. And that's what I have for the news today. And the last thing that we do on Monday is something that restores my faith in humanity. Let's get the scene changed up here and We'll go off into that. So, well, first off, you guys probably see that I got a new picture up behind me from uh, from the niece now this time. The nephew's one is up there, and now I've got the one from the niece as well. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, I went out uh, this weekend, and we shot some freedom sticks over the weekend because freedom, we can do free, free, free person stuff. We can do all that kind of stuff here. And I wound up with a new freedom stick on top of all that. But restoring my faith in humanity, just looking at this. Now, um, my sister's boyfriend owns a gun store. 
part of the reason that I wound up owning a freedom stick after all this. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is we're starting to see more people get more enthused about firearms at this point. I mean, business is up. Ammo is almost completely unable to be found at this point. Because people are going out and taking their own defense from the government and from other people, seriously. You know, they keep saying police response time is average of 15 minutes. And that it's something to pay attention to. And sometimes people walk when the government gets involved with stuff. Because the district attorney makes a sweet deal and the guy gets to walk and go off and do his thing. So people are coming out and being willing to make, you know, take their own defense seriously. Not only that, you can go out and hunt. You can go out and be self-sufficient with that there. But we also, there was, my sister's boyfriend has a stand, just a, probably a little adjustable stand with a cradle on it for holding the end of a shotgun. Now, I've got an eight-year-old nephew and a five-year-old niece, four or five, I think she's five, a five-year-old niece who've been around guns for their entire lives. So that would be, for the most part, a situation where you would expect them to be comfortable around this. But yeah, we we took a 410 out and let my eight-year-old nephew shoot it under full supervision. I mean, we weren't sending him out in the woods with the fucking thing to go out and get himself hurt, but under full supervision with his dad sitting right up next to him to guide him to see what's doing that. Starting kids getting comfortable with their own defense early is a good thing. We need to start doing that because so many in my generation were told that guns were horrible and horrifying and scary. My ex-girlfriend was not comfortable with the idea of having the gun in the house. Chicago land born and raised. Didn't want to be around them. Didn't even want to touch one. And we do need to take some time and get more people comfortable with this because the government's going to do what the government's going to do. And somebody that wants your money, whether it be a government or a crackhead coming in off the street, is going to do what he can to try and get your stuff, your money, or even your life. So starting the younger generation, the Generation Alphas, into at least understanding and respecting this at an early age so they're not terrified of this when they get older, that restores my faith in humanity. And we need to do more of that. And that's going to be it for the day. So thanks everybody who came by and chatted in the live chat. I don't have my music queued up here, but uh, thanks everybody who came by and chatted in the live chat for the day here. We will be back here later on tonight, 5.30 Central Time for the Red Net Show. Hopefully I'll be a little bit more awake at the time because I am a little bit low energy today, but uh, we'll get that all set up and we'll be all kinds of fun. Uh, Lane will be joining us once again tonight to talk about the news of the week, and we've got some fun stuff to talk about as well, including what's going on in the foreign theater, what we talked about last Friday. So hope to see you guys there. Otherwise, I will be back here in the morning for more Contemporary. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. <laughs>